Hey, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus. And today, I want to convince you that generosity makes room in your heart for others. Hey guys, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church, and uh, we are a physical location church located in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia, and we're so glad that you're here. Now, if you're a part of our church or you've been a part of our church in the past, uh, this is something I rarely do, but I'm going to be preaching a old sermon. I once heard Craig Rochelle say, if a sermon was worth preaching once, it's worth preaching again. So we're going to jump in. Well, it's one of the most well-known verses in Scripture. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave. That He gave. Um, my office, previous to being here at this church, I was at a church, Surrey Pentecostal Assembly in Surrey, BC. And I had the privilege of sharing next door to an office with Pastor Lester Markham. Uh, many of you may know that name. And uh, just, a, just a, a phenomenal man of God. And he knew so much. So when I had questions or when I kind of had things going on, I had this great privilege of just being able to get up from my desk, walk to the office next door to me, and ask my questions and glean so much wisdom. But there's one day we were sitting at a staff meeting and pa Pastor Les and his wife Pat had just gone down to Irving, Texas for a prayer summit. And while they were there, they visited a church. It was a big, large church in Irving, Texas. And the pastor was sharing a story during that Sunday. And the, the, the pastor was being interviewed by a media personality. And this media personality had a bit of an agenda, a bit of an axe to grind with the church. And so the interview kind of culminated to this moment where the interviewer asked, how often do you talk about giving? And what I love about the answer, there's just such a profound answer that this pastor gave. He said, we talk about giving every week because you can't talk about God without talking about giving. And this is so profound. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is who God is. So today we're going to dig into our fourth value statement, uh, we're in a series called The Values That Shape Us here at Evangel Church. This is what we filter everything through in terms of decision making and where we're going and what we do, what we say yes to, what we say no to. And it's this, if you're writing notes, write this down. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Generosity, it makes room in our hearts for others. Today I want to convince you. That generosity does more for you than it does for those that you're generous towards. Now, to be clear, let, let, let's give a definition of biblical generosity. So we're all kind of coming at this from the same place. Some of you think, you know, when you think of generosity, you primarily think of money. Or perhaps you think of your time. Or maybe there's some other things in your life that you value that you'll share from time to time and you're generous with it. But biblical generosity looks like this. Generosity is giving sacrificially. Generosity, it's giving sacrificially. And that, that may sound like a bit of an extreme, and certainly it is. But, but let's unpack what I mean by that. 
As I read the scriptures, I see that generosity carries with it this idea of sacrifice. A biblical definition of generosity is sacrificial. Think to the generosity of God. We started with this, this uh, verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God gave everything. He gave everything. He gave sacrificially. I look at Paul's life. Paul wrote much of the New Testament, and he gave up so much for the pursuit of making Jesus the central point of his life and his teachings. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 33, he says to the church in Corinth, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Paul was generous with his entire life. He was generous with his life for the sake of the gospel. Um, Jesus was in the temple one day with his disciples, and he calls them over to reveal kind of biblical generosity to them. And, and this story is found in Luke 21, 1 to 4, and it's so profound. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. This small moment in the life of Jesus reveals so much of God's heart around generosity. You know, we as a humanity, we often get so distracted by the amount, the amount of money that's given, the amount of time that's given, the amount of talents that are given. But Jesus, he looks past the amount to the level of sacrifice. It moves him. It moved him in this moment so much that he calls his disciples around so he can reify and show them what real true generosity looks like. Some of the rich would be coming in to the temple. And I think the disciples are probably distracted by some of the extravagant gifts being put into the offering plate. But, but those extravagant gifts, they didn't get the attention of Jesus. Because Jesus saw through to the heart of the matter, the heart of what's going on. They would give out of their excess. It's easy to give out of your disposable income. It's easy to give some extra time that you have in your calendar. Or it's easy to give when you leave yourself margin. And then this widow comes along. And she's not giving to be seen. Her gift doesn't even warrant a second glance from humanity around her. You see, the, the generosity of the kingdom is determined not by the amount of money, time, or talents you contribute. It's determined by the sacrifice of your gift. Kingdom generosity is generous when it costs us something in a sacrificial way. So let me ask you, what areas of your life do you need to be generous in? What areas of your life do you need to be practice this generosity in? And I kind of felt it was important to give a biblical definition of generosity. So we're all coming now from this from the same place. But generosity, it makes room in your heart for others. There was a study that I heard. It was a few years ago now. I believe it was uh, uh, Carrie Newhoff interviewing Erwin McManus. And they 
uh, they were talking about this study that came out of UC Berkeley. And the study basically was this. So they're trying to determine who felt the closest relational tie in terms of a giving and receiving dynamic in relationship. And so they would do studies where there would be one person who would give a gift or give sacrificially to someone that they know. And then someone would be a receiver of that gift. And they wanted to kind of do their very best to determine who felt closest, who felt more loyal, who felt a camaraderie with those individuals. And the study over and over and over showed that it was actually not the receiver of the gift that felt more camaraderie and loyalty and friendship and closeness. It was actually the giver of the gift that felt that in their lives, in that relationship dynamic. That was so interesting because generosity, it really truly makes room in our hearts for others. There's something about the act of giving that brings us closer to the ones we are generous towards. We make room in our hearts. It increases our sense of loyalty and camaraderie with them. I want to let Paul, who under the influence of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words to the Corinthian church. And, and it kind of paints a really beautiful picture of generosity and giving in a biblical way. Um, we don't fully know the details of what, um, what happened here, but it would seem that the Corinthian church has made a pledge that they were going to come alongside the Macedonian church who needed uh, funding to help with the poor and the destitute and those in need. And so Paul writes to them and he, and he reveals kind of a lot about generosity and the process of generosity. In 2 Corinthians 9, 4 to 5, he writes, Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. Now here, Paul, he's kind of priming the pump for generosity, true generosity. He, he doesn't want the church of Corinth to give out of shame or guilt or compulsion. And so he's giving them a warning. Hey, I'm sending people ahead. To kind of say that we are coming. We are coming for this gift, this offering that you have promised. But we don't want to just show up and have you give out a compulsion and guilt. We want you to be thoughtful about what you're going to give. And so he goes on in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now there's so much going on here to understand and and if we need to really want to understand, we need to understand the economics of this time. This was a time of uncertainty in the first century. In fact, um, for Christians in particular, this was a time of deep uncertainty, persecution, moments of dispersion, people having to leave their homes. And, and so this is kind of the reality in which these Corinthians have decided that we are going to be generous and we're going to give to the Macedonians. So it's in this climate that the Corinthians 
make this financial pledge and Paul is now coaching them through it. Determine in your heart what you're going to give. Determine in your heart what you're going to give. This is a partnership both within your own heart but also with the still small voice of the Spirit working out this idea of what does generosity look like in this moment. Then you come to a determination. You come to a decision on what you're going to give, whether it's time, talent, um, money, whatever it is. And this is key because Paul doesn't want these people to give out of compulsion. Paul didn't want to show up with this delegation of Macedonians and create an awkward moment of pressure where people would just give compulsively or out of guilt. And this is so important because compulsion often leads to regret. Have you noticed this? Compulsive spending of your time, your talents, your money, it, it often, not always, but it often leads to regret. Do, do you remember the last time uh, you made that big purchase, that big ticket purchase, um, and you didn't sleep on it? You made it compulsively, you made it in the moment, and you bought that thing, and you brought it home, and over the course of the next few days, you began to sort of regret it because you didn't count the cost of the things you'd now have to say no to because you said yes to this. Have you been there? Buyer's remorse. God loves a cheerful giver. And the path of, to generosity, it's not one of compulsion, but of hearing in your heart what you should give and determining to do so. Now, I will say this. The timing in which that can happen can be quick. That can happen quickly. That the, the Spirit can convince us that we are to give something in a moment and we're good with that. We come to that determination. We walk in that. We walk in it cheerfully. That can happen in a moment. But sometimes when it's really going to cost you something, there is a season and a moment and a process to generosity because generosity is sacrificial. So counting the cost is important. The widow with the two copper coins. She did not go into that temple flippantly. She thought long and hard about that gift because it was going to cost her everything that she had to live on. It turned the head of Jesus. It got his attention because he saw in that act biblical generosity on display. Generosity makes room in our hearts for others. And sometimes that room is being made for God himself and for his mission and for his kingdom. But, but there's also a promise found in this passage. Paul is convincing the Corinthians that no matter the amount and the extent of the sacrifice of their generosity, God will meet their needs. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In verse 10, he says, he, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. There's a principle of play here, and it's not necessarily what you think. We've heard these passages abused over the years in the church. Um, prosperity gospel loves these passages, but they're abused. They're taken out of context. What does it say? God will meet your needs. God will meet your needs. He will multiply 
seed to the sower. Underline sower. <laughs> the sower. He will meet your needs. He will multiply seed to the sower. Kingdom-minded people have learned the power of generosity because they've discovered that it is greater and more fulfilling to give than to receive. And they've experienced this principle of God's provision and the increase of resources that are entrusted to them because they continue to sow beyond what they ever thought was possible. But the moment that you sow to reap more seed for consumption is the moment you've missed the principle. The moment that you sow the seed, you give of your money, you give of your time, you give of your talents in order to receive back a harvest that you now consume for yourself, you've missed the principle. A few years ago, I preached a sermon and the big idea was this, the seed in your hand will not grow. The seed in your hand, the thing that you hold closely and dearly, the thing that you hold to yourself and don't give freely will not grow. In other words, you need to scatter the seed into the soil to reap a harvest. The practice of generosity conditions us to hold the things of this world loosely in our hands. Those who get this, those who do this, they're entrusted with more because the knowledge of God will grow through their lives because of their generosity. There's another part of generosity that we aren't all fully comfortable with. And, and, and notice it says, by their approval in verse 13. By their approval. And I want you to perhaps change your thinking today um, so we can create a culture uh, in our family, in our lives, in our churches of generosity. In order for there to be a culture of generosity that makes room in our hearts for others, there needs to be recipients of that generosity. I want to illustrate this idea through the life of Jesus because he models it so, so well. Do you remember that moment in the Gospel of John in, in chapter 13? Jesus, he takes off his outer robe. He wraps an apron around his waist. He gets on his hands and knees with a bowl of water and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. A radical act. He is the rabbi. He is the guy who gets preeminence. He is the guy that gets the best seat at every dinner party. He is the, he is the man. And yet he humbles himself and begins to wash the feet. And what, what happens? Peter, they get so much for Peter that he can't even accept it. Peter says, I, will, I won't even accept this. I, you cannot wash my feet. I will not allow it. And Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. And so Peter has his feet washed. There's this humbling moment. But perhaps later, when they look back over the life of Jesus, they'll notice that Jesus actually humbled himself, not just to be the radical, generous giver, but he actually humbled himself to be the one who received radical generosity. This happens in Luke 7, 36 to 38. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears 
and wiped them with the hair of her head, then kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, Jesus in that moment, to the detriment of his reputation, received the generosity and the act of this woman at this dinner party. And generosity, it really is an act of humility on both sides. Jesus, he both humbled himself in the service to his disciples, but he also humbles himself as the recipient of this gift from this woman who needed salvation and needed forgiveness and needed a deep work in her life. He could have said, you know, sister, your tears are enough, right? Us good Canadians, we would probably would have done that. No, 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 don't open that ointment. Now, in many uh, kind of scholarly studies, this ointment would have been very, very costly, very expensive, like extremely expensive. And so Jesus could very well say, no, 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 you're act. You cried on my feet. You wiped it with the hair. You kissed my feet. That anointing is enough. That, that moment is enough. But no, Jesus allows her to crack open this alabaster perfume and to anoint his feet with it. He allows this expensive product to be used in this moment. Why? Because he understood what was happening in her heart. He understood that there was a level of room being made in her heart for Jesus. To receive from others is to give them the gift of not just experiencing generosity, but the gift of making more room in their hearts for you. But it's still more blessed to give than receive. Give sacrificially and you will experience what it is to give generously. The more you do it, the more you begin to change your relationship with the pain of doing it. Because there is a tension, there is a pain, there is a loss, there is a grief, there is a mourning. These, this is the process, this generosity. But the more you practice it, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get with the, the relationship to the pain of biblical generosity. Determine in your heart, determine in your heart, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, what you're gonna give. Count the cost of it so that you can give with a cheerful heart, with an attitude that seeks the betterment of the recipient, whoever or whatever that may be. Give with confidence that God will meet your needs according to his riches in glory, that he will give seed to the sower. And finally, don't be too proud. Don't be too proud to receive generosity from another because in that act, they are making room in their heart for you. And also, it's the way of Jesus because generosity makes room in our hearts for others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you model this so well. God, you are generous. You're the generous father who gave everything. Jesus Christ, you walked on this earth and you served humanity. You served sacrificially. You gave of your time and you gave of your, your anointing and your, 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 the miracles and the signs and the wonders that pointed to you as Messiah. Lord, you gave freely. You gave of your time when the crowds came, you saw them and you, you were moved with compassion and you gave. Lord, finally, you finally gave on the cross your life for the sake of the sins of humanity to bring us to a relationship of life. Lord, you gave so generously. And so Lord, help us to look into this world and look for the opportunities in which we can be generous with our time, our talents, and our treasures. 
give us a heart to see the opportunities and to step into it. Lord, change our relationship with the pain of giving sacrificially. Now, Lord, we would begin to do it and make it a practice and walk it out in a way that would cause us to have an increase by your, by your grace to have seed to sow more and more in this world, that we might make your name famous, that, more, Lord, we may point people to you in our generosity of time, talent, and treasure. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much. Speaking of generosity, we are going to take a moment to practice communion together in community. And this communion moment is really about generosity, the sacrifice of Jesus for each and every one of us. So please stay tuned for that. Thank you, Pastor Lucas, for that reminder and encouragement to be people of generosity. Well, we're going to transition into communion right now. And so if you don't have communion elements with you, you can pause this video and go grab some. You just need something to eat, a cracker, cookie, popcorn, and something that you can drink. Water, juice, coffee, whatever it might be. Well, we are entering into kind of a new season. Uh, we are entering into fall, but we're also kind of exiting the carefree days of summer and starting all of these new things. If you have students in your home or you yourself are maybe going back to post-secondary, you know the weight of going back to school. And the fall seems to be a time when even within the business world, things ramp up, projects ramp up as people just kind of double down and refocus their efforts. And there can be a lot of pressure when those kinds of things happen to somehow feel the need to conform to someone else's opinion and view of us. If you're going back to school, maybe you feel immense pressure academically or relationally to fit into that popular mold or maybe even athletically as you wanna get that scholarship or be part of that team. And there can be so much pressure to allow ourselves to look the way someone else wants us to look. And as adults, we're not immune to that either. This is a time of deadlines and, and you know, making a good impression with our boss and clients. We have all this extra pressure and all these places where we feel the need to conform. I know as a mom, the new school year always brings with it immense amounts of pressure where it's like, well, this is the year we're going to have all of our ducks in a row and we're going to be super organized and I'm not going to let any teachers down. My, misplacing permission forms or whatever it might be. And there can be this pressure to conform to someone else's view of us. Can I give you some freeing truth this morning? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were imperfect, when we were lacking, when we were so far away from that conformity into somebody else's view of us. God saw us as worthy of his love, as worthy of his sacrifice. And Jesus came and paid that price on the cross for us while we still were lacking. And so if you're feeling that pressure going into this new season, I want to tell you that freeing truth that you don't need to live up to anyone's expectations of you. The only person that you need to 
set your eyes on, the only person that you need to start to try to emulate is Jesus. And I want you to just find the freedom in this moment to bring those expectations and that pressure and all of those things to the foot of the cross. In Ephesians, we're told, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by birth not by works that no one can boast there's so much freedom there to recognize that it is grace upon grace that god knew how he created us and when we focus and follow after him he does that work within us of changing us to look more like him and as we look more like him, who we were designed to be is uncovered. Think of it like a sculptor getting this giant, just massive rock. And as the sculptor begins to chisel in that sculptor's vision and design, this piece of beauty is uncovered. In this new season, you don't have to chase after anyone's ideal of who you should be. You just need a life surrendered to the sculptor. And as we do that, as we can constantly come back to the foot of the cross, as we constantly say, God, have your way, have all of me, I surrender. All of these things that I'm running after and pursuing, I lay them down. All I want is eyes set on you to follow in step with where you're leading. And as we do that, that master sculptor unveils something beautiful in our lives as he does the deep work to make us look more and more like him and less and less like everything else people tell us to be. Who we are is uncovered in the work of the cross. So Jesus, with his friends as he looked ahead to what was coming to this moment when he was gonna make a way for us to be able to have relationship with God, for us to be able to not be straddled with all of these things that we needed to conform to within the law, but to be able to come before him with, in grace, come before him in freedom because of what he did. He said this, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He already knew that he was gonna pay the price physically so that we didn't have to, so that we could have freedom to come before God just as we are and find grace and forgiveness and love there. Would you partake with me? And after the bread, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This covenant, again, that didn't hinge on anything that we did, but that was fully dependent on the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. And so let's remember that truth, that freedom, as we partake together. So God, I thank you so much of your, for your deep love for us, that when we were far away from you that while we were still not enough, while we were still dead in our sin, while we were still looking out for us and us alone, that you saw us and you loved us. And that love was enough to send you to the cross. We thank you right now for your gift of salvation and for the freedom that's found in it. I thank you that 
when you call us your own, you take all of that weight and pressure of the expectations of seasons and of people, and you promise us your yoke that is easy and your burden that's light. And you just ask us to follow after you. And so right now we lay down all of those things that would have us feel like we need to conform to someone else's expectation for our life or of who we are. And we lay that down at your feet and we ask that you would just make us look more and more like you. And because who you are is so incredibly vast and amazing and beautiful, I know that as we surrender, you create works of art out of our own lives that can only be brought back to you in praise so that no one can boast in ourselves, that we could boast in who you are. So thank you for grace upon grace. Thank you for freedom. Thank you for the cross in your precious name. Amen.